Welcome to another episode of the Rental Journal Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the equipment rental industry. I'm your host, Mark Simonson, and today our guest is Viv Canelli. Viv has over 30 years experience in the equipment rental industry and has worked at companies like GKN Rentals, Coats Hire, and most recently, Royal Wolf. Viv, to kick things off, can you talk to me about how you got into the hire and rental industry? I actually grew up in a, a country town called Narema down the far south coast of New South Wales. And I grew up working in a family business. And um, that was a cafe restaurant. So I'm um, dealing with the public uh, from, a, from a young age. And as I left school, there was just no work in the area. And uh, I, I moved to Canberra. I followed my sister up there. She had a job in the public service up there. And within two days, I had a, a job with a company called GKN Scaffolding. And uh, they hired out uh, scaffolding gear and equipment. And I started as a yardman with them, progressed the yard leading hand, did some work as the scaffolder, got the ticket, finished up yard foreman. And uh, again, it uh, just progressed from there that I had a bit of a, a back injury for a while at young and they put me in the office. And uh, I started to uh, understand about the logistics, transport, stayed back after hours and uh, put a bit of extra effort in, learned how to do the designs and takeoffs for scaffolding and uh, progressed to an internal sales role. And then a couple of years down the track, I was an external sales rep for GK and Scaffolding in Canberra. And, uh, and then progressed on to uh, other divisions within GKN. Um, and again, that was, um, you know, the GKN Light Access and uh, GKN Rentals up in Sydney in the early 90s. So that's how I got my start in the uh, equipment hire industry. So you got your start at GKN Scaffolding and then eventually moved into GKN Rentals. But it seems like there's so many people in the industry that have been exposed to GKN in a previous life. Was there something about that company? Yeah, the culture in GKN was very good. They were very keen to see people who showed initiative develop and they were very good. They actually led the industry, the scaffold industry at that time for product knowledge um, training. And, and again, back in that period of time in the 80s, early 90s, um, they were fairly well advanced with their work health and, health and safety as well. So they gave opportunities for people with initiative to advance. That's probably something that for anyone that's listening that is new to the industry or is that a company that's trying to progress ahead? Just showing initiative will, will get you places pretty quickly if you work for the right company. So talking about companies, so what other companies have you worked at? And just talk a little bit about the roles that you played there. Well, again, with GKN, it was GKN Quickhorn, the scaffolding, GKN Light Access, um, a business development branch manager there. Um, that was a greenfield site in Canberra. Um, I then got approached to come to Sydney with uh, Waco Scaffolding. And uh, I worked for Waco Scaffolding as a, an account manager up here in Sydney. Um, again, old boss from Coates Hire, John Gerard, who we'll talk about a little bit later on. I was having a chat with him one day and he said, why don't you come and be a uh, rental manager for us here at GK and Rentals? He was running it at the time, sales manager for it. And I said, yeah, why not? The offer was attractive. Back to a business I knew. Um, and I settled in that. And believe it or not, John moved across to James Hardy Osco portable buildings. And uh, again, guess who went along to James Hardy Osco? Business development uh, with James Hardy Osco, commercial sales. That got me into the site accommodation. 
um, industry. That was again back in 1993, a long time ago now when you think about it. And uh, Barry Meal, who, who was the general manager at um, James Hardy, he went across as the uh, general manager strategy for Coates Hire. And um, I had moved back to Canberra with James Hardy at the time. And um, believe it or not, Barry approached me and said, look, we want to start a portable buildings business for Coates Prestige at the time here in Canberra. So we, we started a Greenfield Coates Prestige portable buildings business in Canberra. So uh, we specialised again in portable buildings, shipping containers and um, portable toilets. There's um, good money in waste. And uh, evolved from that. When we started, the business was turning over you know, 150, 160,000 a year. And uh, we actually progressed that up over to five and a half million dollars a year within three years. So it was uh, well supported by the business. And my success there actually uh, um, had me progress up to um, area uh, state manager, state area manager for ACT Southern New South Wales. Um, and again, that progressed. Um, we grew the revenues again across the state and uh, the market must have been buoyant. But again, you're only as good as the people um, that you've got around you. In 2007, um, Coates Hire went through a uh, complete restructure and I ended up with a sales manager's role in Sydney. And um, again, worked in various roles there. Um, and again, just with the general plant and equipment, which fed back into the all the skill set that I had and the acquired product knowledge. And uh, again, my old boss at Coates Prestige, he uh, was working as the um, COO at Royal Wolf. His name was Neil Littlewood. And uh, Neil said there was an opportunity to run New South Wales for Royal Wolf grow the uh, building and construction market side accommodation. So he introduced me to the CEO at the time then, and uh, we negotiated. And then next thing I came across to Royal Wolf in 2014, as uh, the um, state manager for New South Wales. Then I finished up the general manager East, which looked after New South Wales, ACT and Queensland. And uh, then 18 months ago, I've always had the sales swing and uh, Neil said to me, as he progressed into the CEO's role, he said, what do you really want to do? And I said, I want to do sales. So I finished up the executive general manager for key accounts and I've got a national account management team and uh, I look after um, the top 300 accounts for Royal Wharf. That's interesting. So, so for anyone listening that doesn't know what Greenfield means, it's basically when a business invests in a new subsidiary, basically, that doesn't exist and they start from scratch. So to going into a, a greenfield business with Coates Hire, was that, did, was that something that you were ready for or was it quite challenging? Like talk me through that experience. Uh, with joining Coates and setting up the greenfield site, I, I was always confident that I'd be successful simply because I, I knew the major competitor, which was James Hardy Osco at the time. I knew their customer base. And I also knew that Coates Hire had a very, you know, customer base 10 times the size of what Osco had. So I knew that there was just more opportunity. And if you just get in front of people, present a good product, provide good service, that the opportunities had come along. And that's simply what happened. Uh, the, the business grew. We grew on the back of 
existing customers and relationships. So you said that the relationships is a is one of the key reasons on why that coat hire business was successful when it first started. And now your current role is looking after the top 300 accounts at Royal Wolf. So there's some similarities going on here on, on what you've gone through. And I guess, could you talk a little bit about what you think that formula for success is when you're talking about relationship management? If you tell someone you're going to do something, simply do it and follow up. And if you just follow those basic rules, know your product, don't commit to what you can't deliver and follow up. And if something's wrong, just front up and say, hey, I'm sorry, but I can't deliver to what your expectations are, but I found a solution. This is what I can offer. Always offer the alternative. That's a pretty simple but very effective advice that you just gave us then. So let's get on the topic of Royal Wolf for a bit. What is Royal Wolf? And I guess what was your perception of Royal Wolf when you first came on board? I just thought, it, you know, when I come on board, I mean, a box is a box, but there's certainly a lot more to them than, than just the box. Um, every every cabin, I thought they were made Royal Wolf stock. I actually thought it was just built out of a shipping container and it was modified and turned into a, a side office, a lunchroom, whatever. But uh, it's actually not. They're all each um, individually engineered product and uh, they're all um, specifically built, purpose built. Um, using the, the structure of the shipping container. So, you, you know, you can double stack, triple stack. You know, there's one job in Sydney at the moment where we've gone eight units high for, for Lend-Lease in, in the city of Sydney. So that was something that with a conventional transportable building that you'd simply never be able to do. And so are more people in the industry getting into that technical design for the portable buildings and the shipping containers because like Royal Wolf is clearly the market leader, if not one of the top market leaders. I, I see them everywhere on the road. Uh, but are other people getting into that space now? A couple of our competitors are starting to uh, to, to dabble, you know, in the market as well. But again, it, it's a, a big investment to get the capital. You, you need um, product mass to, to start and actually get a foothold. And uh, that was something when I left Coats Hire after 17 years to join Royal Wolf. Um, I wanted to be sure that um, Royal Wolf was actually going to invest in that product because, again, the opportunity is there. You, you know the customer base and uh, they did have a very good product. I, I did a lot of research before I left and uh, the opportunities, um, you know, like they were realised. And, and the Royal Wolf did commit and did invest in the product. So your competitor product, you can't crane over the top of it. You've got to use a gantry. Um, a lot of the conventional portable buildings, you've got to use stacking frames, which is additional labour. Wide load, you're restricted with transport. Um, so it really comes back to it was a, just a, a great product. And then we move into technical sales. We customise them. Um, we do work for defence. We've got containers down in the Antarctic. Um, you know, that have been purpose-built, um, switch rooms. It's just amazing what you actually do with them. I don't know if you've ever been up to Brisbane, Mark, and been to East Street Markets in Brisbane, but it, it's all pop-up retail out of shipping containers. Full market, all food halls, stalls, um, you know, and there's bike markets that, that followed on from that in the north of Brisbane. And again, that's out of shipping containers. 
So look, I think for the listeners, it'd be great for you to explain a little bit about what the technical sales is actually made up of with Royal Wolf. Yeah, happy to. But look, at the technical sale, um, what it comes back to is you can buy a shipping container. A lot of mum and dads do. And it's no, it's common knowledge that Royal Wolf has got over 23,000 customers. We're still listed, we were listed on the Australian Stock Exchange. Our parent company is um, GFN in the US and sister company Pacvan. In America, they trade pretty similar. But effectively, to, to um, come in with technical sales, you know, you'll, you'll come to partner the defence and they'll have specialised product or equipment that they need uh, to be built. Training facilities for the Department of Defence, the terrorist training, commando training. You know, you come in, you get specialised switch rooms. Um, we've built bariatric chambers for submarines so that when someone comes up with the bends, they can get put in the chamber and, you know, that they're pressurised and it's looked after. Cat rentals, you know, West Track, we've actually built, you know, working with them, partnering, we've built um, hose storage containers with, with vertical racks inside them that they can hang hoses on. So it really comes back to um, your imagination, what you actually want, and, uh, you know, we, we can build it, we can customise it. Very robust product. Um, that's steel frame, core steel. Um, that's the basis for everything. And, uh, again, it just comes back to what you want to do. Well, I really didn't understand how little I knew about portable buildings and shipping containers until now. So, <laughs> and some pretty interesting facts there. So, look, moving from Coats Hire, who is is a mammoth of a company, uh, top 10 in the world for rental, and then moving to Royal Wolf, who is a bit smaller, how did you sort of manage, I guess, from your perspective, the, the change in the culture or the the way that you interact with your sales team? Because like, how did that sort of work? With, with Royal Wolf, um, you know, Coates had, you know, over 180 salespeople in the, in the business. You know, Royal Wolf as a whole has only 300 employees. And Royal Wolf, you know, was and still is very good at being reactive. And they've got a very strong internal sales culture where they'll react to a, an inquiry, whether it's a customer ringing in, or it's a, an inquiry coming through on the, on the internet now. And, uh, you know, Royal Wolf did that very well. From the external account management perspective, that was an area that, that we, we grow and we continue to grow and develop. And, and key account management, and effectively it takes you from being reactive to proactive, it pushes you to look at the relationships, um, you look at what products that you have that you can offer, what products are suitable for building and construction, what products are suitable for retail, what products are suitable for road and rail transport. And, and we have specialised salespeople in each region across Australia and New Zealand that actually focus on servicing the customers in those market segments, which historically Royal Wolf would just handle the inquiry coming through and uh, again, just service the customer, work in the now, think about what's happening next week, the week after. Whereas with key account management, you know, you're being more strategic and you're actually planning for the future. So you're looking three months, six months, 12 months down the track. Hmm, so yeah, that's some pretty interesting insight. I think, so you, you were mentioning the internal sales and then the external sales with the strategic account management. But do you think someone that has done internal sales 
can also be good at external sales because it's, I guess it's a very different personality type as well, yeah? Mark, that's a good question because some people are very successful at the internal sales and they find it difficult when you've actually got to get out of your comfort zone, out of the office, away from your desk and actually go and talk to someone. And you've got to confront someone face to face and you've got to find a solution to their need, resolve a dispute or initiate contact to promote your product. And it's very different face to face to what it is handling an email inquiry or answering a telephone. And some people do struggle with that. And there is a different skill set involved as well. Yeah, I can imagine. It's uh, yeah, someone that isn't used to that type of interaction would definitely struggle. And yeah, I mean, as you said, it comes down to their personality type. So when you moved into Royal Wolf, like it was a very specialized niche market where before you were very exposed to more of a general rental or construction space. So how did you feel about sort of sort of fencing off that that diversification of different types of equipment and then just focusing on one particular uh, niche market? Well, one of the things I enjoy about, you know, the, the, the container business and with Royal Wall, it, it is diversified and, and the products aren't so much a commodity because in the general plant and equipment business, access used to be specialised 25 years ago. It's a commodity now. Everyone's got access equipment, scissor lifts, boom lifts, you know, there's some specialised products over and under for bridges and the like, but they're a commodity. Message boards, those signs you see on the side of the road, they used to be a specialised product. Now they're a commodity. Every, every hire company, everyone's got them. Uh, you know, you come through lighting towers, day makers that you see on the side of the road um, of a night, of course, they're day makers, but they're a commodity. Everybody has them. And, and that's the thing that I find with the shipping containers and especially with the technical sales aspect, is that you move away from being a commodity. You're actually doing something different that's unique. And, and every job can be different. Yeah, that is a good point. I guess whether you're renting a 20-foot scissor from one company or another, the, the biggest point in difference is your level of service that you provide them. So, yeah, the commodity, commodity can be a challenge in that instance. So... So talk to me about recruitment then. So what do you look for in people when you're trying to recruit these these right internal sales or external sales or technical sales uh, for, the, for the roles that you've sort of um, been mentoring and managing over the years? Again, we, we touched on it earlier, Mark, that sales is really a simple process. And I think that if someone is a good communicator, has high energy levels and is willing to succeed, and, and put the effort in, they can succeed in sales. And, and you can't sit back and wait for it to come to you. You, you actually have to want. You've got to have that drive and enthusiasm. And uh, that's something that I've always had. Uh, I've enjoyed talking to people. Um, growing up in a, in a small country town, in a, in a cafe restaurant environment, um, I grew up talking to people. And you actually get to look at some people and you know gut feel, you can actually tell whether they're going to be successful or not. And I actually look for that energy level, that commitment. Um, I think there's three types of employees or three types of people in sales in any role. They're someone that's just treading water, looking to move on to the next role. Um, You've got someone who is a good employee, but uh, they work to live. They don't live to work. 
and uh, they'll turn up at nine o'clock and they'll go home at five o'clock and there's nothing detrimental to that at all. Um, but the fact is they do just what they have to do to earn a living. And then you get other type of people and I categorise myself as that, that is prepared to get passionate about your brand, who you work for and prepared to go that little bit extra to, to know that you're gonna get rewarded at the end of it by servicing a customer, delivering a good result for the business and you'll get that incentive payment. Because at the end of the day, we all work for money. But how I developed my career was by actually staying back and doing that little bit extra to, to learn off my peers and colleagues, you know, how to do a design, how to do a takeoff. Um, when I worked at GKN um, Rentals, you know, I'd go in the workshop and I'd learn how to run the gear and equipment up. And you got to understand the gear, how it worked, how it functioned. Um, you know, you need a bit of financial negotiation skills. And James Hardy in the 90s, they were very good at getting their corporate solicitors to come in to talk contract negotiation legal terms. Probably find out why now with the asbestos and that issues they've had that have gone through um, in, in, the, in the early 2000s. But again, it's just doing that little bit more engaging um, to better yourself, but do it you know, in your own time and, and show initiative and, and then you get rewarded. And that's what I've based my career on. Okay, that's, that's some good advice. And so for all the people in sales in the rental industry that are listening to this, like what advice would you give them in terms of how they can not guarantee success, but ensure they put their best foot forward? I think it comes back to that, that you really got to understand your role. And, and I think as a managers in a business, any leader in a business, you know, their direct reports have to understand why they're employed. You know, what are their, you know, you, you don't have 10 key objectives, you have three or four that, that you look for. And, you know, you've got to be planned, you've got to be structured, and you've got to just have that desire. And, and you can have, you know, some of the best people in the world, but they've got to have substance. And simply just have to do what you say you'll do. And if somebody shows that initiative and that willingness to learn, um, well, you, you, you take them along, you coach, you mentor, you get training. You know, I, I've had some salespeople work for me that really weren't effective communicators. But I said, if company pays for it, will you go to Toastmasters and public speaking? And, and they've done it. You know, I've had people that have struggled with the finances, just basic negotiation spreadsheets. And you get them to go a, do a, a basic bookkeeping um, course at TAFE. And it shows that initiative. And when you sit with them, they get an understanding of, of the terminology and the language that's used in, in, in contract negotiation or fundamentals of pricing. And once you've got the, 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 the basis or the platform, you can actually build on from that. Okay. And so then when you do find that person or team of people that are showing those initiatives, how do you keep them motivated? Like, do you um, is it a competition thing? Is it benchmarking? Is it targets? Like, how do you sort of keep that drive going? For any business um, to be successful, you need people that can perform and from a sales perspective, generate revenue. Because if you don't have customers and you're not generating revenue, you don't have a job. And, and that's the reality check for a lot of people. But, you know, when, when you start to benchmark 
um, reps or make it competitive, how they compete against each other, you know, to be number one and this reward for being the number one rep. Um, that, that actually shows you the people that have got the drive and the determination to, to really want to survive, make a go of it. And um, age, it comes back, people say, oh, the older you get, the more comfortable you get. But that's not true in today's age. I think, you know, we, you talk about technology. Um, years ago, when I first started out on, on a job, you'd go out and you'd meet the foreman, you'd chat to him, you'd give him a price list, talk about his needs. He'd introduce you to the project manager, and if you could deliver, you could do the job. Now, you get a, a request from a, a young engineer that sends you an Excel spreadsheet to fill in. Um, you send your, your price list back if, if you're silly enough to. Um, he'll do a spreadsheet and compare your rates against five or six other companies. And he'll take that to a contracts manager. He'll do their evaluation. He'll go to a contracts manager. He'll go to a site manager. He'll go to a project team with a recommendation for different product. And you don't get to sell the value or what you can actually bring to the business. I see value in myself that if I go and spend time finding a solution for a customer, I feel that the customer should pay for me going out and finding that solution for them. And with technology, that gets harder and harder for the younger generation to understand and be able to do that. And, and that's a challenge that I think the youth of today are going to face more and more as technolo technology continues to evolve. Yeah, it's a tough one because, yeah, technology is obviously giving us so much extra time by saving time, but then it also, yeah, limits the that, that in-person engagement potentially if we are trying to do things online and cut corners and stuff like that. So, so when we are, or someone is in the rental industry and they're trying to engage with a customer, like from a solution sales standpoint, like what, can you give some examples of like how they should be engaging? It's to talk to the customer, look at the language you use. Because a customer could ring up and just say, I, I want a container. And the question will come back is, what do you want that container for? And they say, I want it to use, uh, I want it to store furniture. And straight away, you'll say, well, you need something that's wind and water type. You know, um, is, are you going to just have it as static storage? And by that, I mean, you're just going to sit the container in one place. What are you actually storing the furniture for? And I say, we're getting a house renovation. So it's static storage. So it, it comes back to just asking the simple questions to show them that you need to get the container up off the ground um, so that air can flow underneath so you don't get the condensation inside it. Um, all those little things just to show the customer that you're going to the next level. Whereas if a customer is up and says, I want a 20-foot box, you know, what's your best price? And you go, oh, I can do it for $3 a day. But if you talk to the customer and explain to them, how do you need it delivered? What are you going to use it for? I can get $3.50 a day for it because they'll see value that I've gone to the trouble of, of determining what they actually require and what they're going to use it for. That's, that's a great example and it's quite simple as well, just like your other analogy. So to talk about mistakes, you, you obviously would have made some mistakes in your early days when you first got into sales. Um, but can you, can you talk through, I guess, what some of the common mistakes are that a lot of new sales reps are go through when they first join the rental industry? When you're young, you always try and take shortcuts. You're more focused on doing the deal. You, you don't understand the risk associated. 
Um, it's great to do a deal, but if the customer can't pay for the product and services or the solution you found for them, what's the purpose of doing the deal? So um, again, it's just simply respect your peers, um, learn to listen, um, understand the process and system, um, and do everything you can to, to mitigate risk. And, and never shy away from a problem. If, if there's a problem or an issue, it won't go away. You can walk away, you can hide from, put it in the background, but it, the truth always comes out in the end. So if there's a problem or an issue, move towards it, solve it, and move forward. And, and when you're young, a lot of those challenges, you, you want to do the deal, you want to manage the customer, you want him to like you so he does business with you. But sometimes, uh, you know, the customer will patch on the back and he'll use you for as long as he can. And then, you know, I got caught when I was young. I, I dealt with people who I thought were great people, barbecues at their house, and then they're three quarters of the way through a job and they've gone broke. And I say, sorry, mate, can't pay you. They go, but hang on, we, yeah, well, so I haven't got any money anymore. So you, you have to learn, monitor, you know, it's the sales aspect, it's great to do the deal, but you, you've got to understand what a scope of works is. Um, what are the payment terms? Is the customer adhering to those payment terms? And uh, when you're young, um, you just think, oh, I'll go out and win the deal. And uh, that's a challenge um, as you mature. And, and you look back and you think, geez, I never thought of that. I never thought of that. I never did that. Somebody else picked up behind you. So, you know, that, that was some of the challenges when I was younger. Those are all really good examples of uh, mistakes that I think a lot of people have made and probably still do make today. So, so someone that's brand new to a business that just joined, like what, what tips would you give them? What advice would you say to them from day one? Um, that's a good question, Mark, um, because I, I do, I, I look for the attributes I had as a young person sometimes in the people who report into me. And um, I think for my younger self, I would say be patient. Um, never stop learning um, and ensure you're working with good talented people um, you, you just you, you can't learn of people that don't have drive determination or don't really know what they're doing and you should work align yourself with a reputable brand um, I've been lucky that I, I've always worked for a market leader and um, again that that opens doors um, having that brand behind you when you go and talk where you try and open a door to generate new business, if, if you've got a known brand behind you, it's easier to open the door. And uh, again, that's important. And again, I, I use those brands to promote Viv Canelli, you know, in, in the marketplace, that I was someone that, you know, would find a solution for you, a problem to your needs. And I looked at, as I matured, that it was my own business to get out and promote myself to create opportunity to get into the I mean, you know, executive general manager role now, if someone had said, Viv, you'll be an EGM 25 years ago, I would have laughed at them. But you know, you mature, associate with good people, continue to learn and work with those brands that can you know, open the doors a bit easier for you. And, and I've been fortunate that I, I've worked for very good brands. This is great. Uh, I really like that we're focusing a lot on how we can provide advice to that next generation or even someone that has been in sales for a while or just needs that little fuel with some advice. So 
Hopefully this helps a few people that, that are listening to this and that are in sales. So it, it, to, to sum it up, really, it's, it's about understanding your customer's need, having a good relationship with them, being the trusted advisor, and then knowing your product really well as well. They're the two main things. It, it is. And it comes back to, um, you know, just that little bit more understanding the product or the needs. Um, a lighting tower. You know, I said that's a commodity earlier, but there's different brands of engines and different lighting towers. Some are more fuel efficient than others. You know, one brand might run for 12 hours on a full tank of petrol where another one runs for eight. So is it productive for you, you know, working overnight time to have to turn the machine off, fill it up with fuel and turn it back on again? How much time are you going to lose? Whereas if you come in and say the machine that I offer you, yes, I'm five bucks a night more expensive, but it'll go for the full night period. You're not going to have to stop and start it again. And, and they're all the little idiosyncrasies. At, at Royal Wolf, we, we've got, um, uh, uh, we won an innovation and business award for it in 2019. And it's effectively, we call it the Wolf Lock. And it's an easy open container door. And you can open it with just two fingers, open and close it. And it's great for static storage, but you know, a, a lot of the biggest issues that, that people have is the mum and dads. If mum goes to open the container door, they're bloody hard to open. And the wolf lock has alleviated that problem. And, you know, we've got a couple of thousand of them out on hold. People specifically ask for them. In the US, um, our sister company, Pac-Man, they've got over 6,000 of the wolf lock on hold. They call it the PV3 lock. But uh, again, we, we like that brand association. And uh, the wolf lock, and that's something. Um, we're in talking to one of the major um, retailers. Um, you know, the other we had meetings with them. You talk about what's your pain point, what's your issue, and, and they hire refrigerated units. And Royal Wolf, you know, we've got a couple of thousand refrigerated units in our fleet. And one of the issues that these people had was that the, the T bars in in the floors of most refrigerated units, you can't wheel a trolley. So for retail grocery stores. If they've got to stop and unload and manhandle everything off a pallet into the into the refrigerated container, um, that's more difficult. It, it costs them time in labour, money. They get um, work, health and safety. There's issues with people getting injured, getting hurt, back injuries, shoulder injuries. So we come up with, we give, we give you a flat floor reefer, refrigeration unit. You can just wheel your trolley in and drop it off by the pallet load. But hallelujah. It's not hard. It's just asking the questions. What are your issues? Yeah, taking your time to ask the right questions. All right, let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk a little bit more about you. So who do you think was a, a big influence on you, both professionally and personally, maybe as a mentor? I'd have to say my father. Um, first up, he was, you know, family business. He certainly instilled in me a strong work ethic. Um, you know, it was a, a kick in the pants if you didn't do it. But um, also, he, he, you know, was very big on that. If you, know, if you don't put the effort in, there's no reward. So, um, again, that, that, you know, from a father's perspective, work hard, put the reward in, do more than what you have to, and success will follow. Um, when I started with GKN, I, I, I met a gentleman by the name of John Gerard, and he was my sales manager at the time. And uh, 
John taught me how to sell on value, not on price. And it was a journey. Um, he talked about integrity. Um, you have to do what you say you will do. And he was very big on planning. And yet you must have a planned approach to all your activities and, and make sure you're productive. If you're not focusing on generating revenue or building relationships, you're, you're wasting your time. And back in the day before technology and our calendars, you know, he was very big on uh, your Sunday afternoon, Sunday night, just take half an hour, check your diary, what you've got in, draw it up in columns, just rule it down the side, what's an action, flow it over. So he, he instilled in me the importance of um, doing what you say you'll do, have that integrity, um, believe what you're doing and, and always be productive. And um, Barry Meal, who, who took me across from James Hardy to Coates Hire, um, Barry probably taught me to listen, to be patient, um, understand that opportunities will come along. Um, you just need to be in the right position at the right time. Keep your head down, keep working, and always look for opportunity. And last but not leastly, Neil Littlewood, our current CEO here at Royal Wolf, um, he taught me that, you know, we talked about it before, that issues never go away. Move towards tension, resolve problems, um, be accountable, and as the manager, hold yourself accountable, and that way you can hold your team accountable. Sometimes you do have to say no. You can't say yes to everybody. And don't expect your energy. A lot of people, when we're younger, we, we can get very emotive and we get concerned with things that we can't influence or, or make a difference in. You're not the final decision maker. And, and Neil was very big on, you know, don't expend your energy on those things you can't control. Work in those areas that you can control and you'll enjoy work more and there's not as much whinging or, you know, just that demotivation that comes from people who are dissatisfied in the workforce and worry more about everybody else around them than what's actually going on in their circle, in their sphere. And I think that they were, you know, very good lessons and four people that in reflection um, probably got me to where I am today. Yeah, there's some great mentors there and obviously they've had a, a big influence on you and I, I really like some of those things you were saying at the end that, that Neil Littlewood taught you, in particular like the one move towards tension. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's a great piece of advice for people. So yeah, might have to try and get him on the podcast in the future. Um, so talk to me about work-life balance. How much of that is a factor in in people in sales? They 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 usually take work home with them. Like it, it's a, it's something that it's a bad habit. And so, so talk to me about that. How you've managed that? Sometimes you, you do have to have that work-life balance, and and having a hobby, you know, or a good circle of friends that you can actually go and talk to that you don't talk about work, and that's something that I, I've really worked on over the years is to have my work colleagues and I've made some very good friendships through work. I've made some very good friendships with customers that I've dealt with. But the friends that I have um, that, you know, have been there for a long time, they, they're not involved in my work. And we really, I don't talk about work to them. We talk about golf, we talk about fishing, we talk about where we grew up, football, whatever else, but it's not about work and, and they're the same. They don't want to talk about their work either. And uh, again, I've, I've got 
friends that I've, you know, before I started school, I'm still mates with, with some of those people. So I think it's important, you know, I, I try and, you know, I'm, I'm a big boy. I, I've been exercising just as you get a bit older, you know, switch off. It's good to go for a walk, breathe in some fresh air and uh, just not think about work all the time. Yeah. No, look, I think that's that's definitely something that even me personally, I'm trying to focus more on and maybe I need to meditate or something like that. But just to to switch off more, I guess, and uh, I did recently buy some land, so maybe that will motivate me to focus more on building a house and the next stage of my life. But I think some people, like when they're in sales, like they're, they're just very driven, like they, they, they've got a lot of energy and it's hard to, to switch off. Mark, but to be honest, it's very hard when you're younger and, and you've got career aspirations. Um, it's hard to switch off because if you've got that desire and that fire in the belly to be successful, um, it does drive and motivate you. And, you know, one of the best things you can do is, is get married, have a family, get a mortgage. And uh, that certainly provides enough motivation to, to push that success um, through. And when you want to educate your children, um, you know, I look at the legacy from my father and um, he instilled in me a, a good work ethic. Um, you know, he made sure I was educated. And um, again, I never went to university. I did go back and, and, and got a, a diploma in business management at Coates Hire in, in, you know, late 2000, 2008, 2009. But again, you, you just need to, to find the balance Look at what you want in life and the older you get, start to think what's going to happen five years, 10 years, 20 years down the track. We've got compulsive super now. We never thought about it before. And um, I, I just look at it that, you know, I went through a phase where I lost my wife to breast cancer um, and I had four young daughters and, and that gives you a different perspective on life. So um, for me, that changed me changed the type of person I was. Um, and I was lucky at the time that Kate's High really supported me through a tough time. But your work, I think I put in the effort and the hard work that warranted the company supporting me to see me get through that hard time um, because they could see value in me as an employee. And I think that's a lesson for everybody. Get your work-life balance, but make sure you do your job you know, separate, enjoy your life as well. Don't just make it all about work. Yeah, but some great advice there. And it's it's really good to hear that Coats Hire supported you through that, that tough time and shows what type of company they are as well. So talk to me about how you define success and what you think was a defining moment for you. Look, success, it comes back, everybody measures success differently. And, and for me, I, I look at, having continuity in employment for, for over 30 years in, in the general plant and equipment hire industry. Um, you know, I haven't applied for a job in 30 years. Uh, I've been headhunted or built a reputation where people have wanted me in their business and I've been successful within those businesses. So to, I've based my success on that. And, you know, it's interesting. You, you look at different people and, you can be successful doing a deal. Um, you can be successful generating revenue, but you're paid to do that. That's why you take the job on. So 
when you look at you know your success, what's a defining moment for you? Um, I was 17 years at Coates Higher, and you know I didn't have to leave Coates. I I could have stayed there and still been a sales manager, and um, I was well rewarded. I had a good group of people around me. Um, they were a good brand. I'd been through the global financial crisis with them. Um, you know, the P64, a rationalisation of their business. Um, and I could have stayed there. So leaving that and coming across to Royal Wharf, um, that was a, a defining moment for me. And I'm just so pleased that I did it. It's opened up my eyes, created new opportunity for me. And uh, again, I, I, I want to stay here until I retire. Yeah, that, that's really great to hear. Like I can almost hear your your motivation and your voice in terms of being remotivated, if I want to put it like that. Because yeah, you could have taken the easy route instead of Coates and 17 years is an unbelievable achievement. Uh, but yeah, sometimes when you do take on a new role, it sort of brings up that fire in your belly and and you being so passionate and excited about Royal Wolf, they've obviously got, got a great culture at that company as well. And culture's important. You've got to enjoy enjoy where you work. You don't have to like everybody you work with, but respect that everybody's there to do a job. And we're all wired a little bit different. We've got different cultures, different personality. But look for the best in everybody. Don't look for the worst all the time. And if you look for the best, you'll always find some. All right. Well, look, I've really enjoyed this discussion, but it's got to come to an end. Um yeah, thank you for coming on the Rental Journal podcast. Uh, enjoyed it, Mark. Appreciate being given the opportunity. Well, that's the end of another episode. Please share, follow, and like the Rental Journal podcast. And I'll see everyone in the next episode. Bye.